that we understand your word. And I pray for you to speak through your word to us today. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So our country is on edge. Um, the blizzard is just one more thing. Thank you. The blizzard is just one more thing to add to the stressors that have already been plaguing our country uh, and our world for the past few years. However, there is a proven way to effectively deal with storms, both physically and spiritually and emotionally. And this morning, we are going to focus on the storm, the greatest storm calmer of all time. And that is our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. However, before I do, uh, get into the story. I'd like to share a couple paragraphs that I read from CNN analysis. It was uh, written last month, so it's about a month old. And the author, uh, at the, towards the end of the article, Zachary Wolf was the author, and here's what he wrote. Just when it feels like something approaching a pre-pandemic level of ease is on the horizon, there's a new spike. And emerging from the pandemic has created its own problems. A nationwide wave of smash and grab crimes and rising homicide rates make it seem like social order is somehow in danger. General unease might not be a quantifiable thing, but there is evidence of frustration in public opinion polling. In January 2020, 21% of Americans said things in the country were going very well. According to a CNN poll conducted by SSRS, and a CNN poll released this week, that figure was 3%. That's a decrease of 18% from 21 to 3%. In January 2020, less than half said things were going pretty or very badly. Now it's almost two-thirds are saying that. A different poll from Mammoth University asked that people were worn out by the pandemic. It's not shocking that most people, 60% said they were worn out. Nearly half of people say they're angry about how COVID-19 has affected their daily lives. I, to say Americans are on edge is just about the most hackneyed turn of phrase in the news business. But this holiday season, it might actually be true. Again, that was an article and here's the title of the article. The reality of the pandemic is settling in. So is America's anxiety. You realize if unchecked, Anxiety leads to fear, and they are close, often closely connected in our minds. The anxiety that I might lose my job becomes the fear that I may not be able to provide for those depending on me or that there won't be enough money for something. Fear is pretty rough on a person. Uh, while fear does play its role uh, sometimes, right, in temporarily improving our health so we can meet emergencies, um, fear that doesn't stop we call that chronic fear, is really detrimental. The University of Minnesota says that living with constant fear can decrease your immunity. It can accelerate your aging. It can cause damage to certain parts of the brain, lead to depression, among other things. So now that we've got our exciting, optimistic start to our sermon, let us turn to our hope. You realize that fear is not a new emotion for us as humans. Fear has plagued humanity ever since the first instance of separation from God. From Adam and Eve, right after their sin, the world has been filled mm -hmm. with crime. Mm -hmm. And in Noah's day, political and spiritual unrest during the days of Christ, 
Fear has run rampant on this planet and left its toll on the bodies and minds of humanity. However, we Christians know the ultimate storm calmer. Faith in him is the cure for fear that gets our minds has been besetting our people from the beginning of time until now. So we're pick up our story in Mark chapter four, and we're gonna start with verse 35. Jesus has been using parables all day long, trying to explain what the kingdom of God was like here in Mark chapter four. And so the first part of it is the kingdom of God is a sower. Uh, Mark chapter four also has the light under a basket, the growing seed, the mustard seed. Then in verse 35, it says this. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other, other side. When evening came, you realize Jesus was teaching all day, and now it's evening. On the other side of the lake, it was not necessarily as populated as where Jesus was right then. And so his idea was that he and his disciples would be able to go across and get some necessary rest and relaxation. Uh, maybe you can connect with that this morning. Life these days seems to be increasingly hectic, and sometimes we need a break, a chance to rest in our Savior, recharge our spiritual batteries, per se. Um, this last fall, I would the Nantucket Church gave that opportunity for me, and I spent a week in Nantucket, and as though I thoroughly enjoyed my time with the evangelism, I will say I had a recharging of spiritual batteries, too. It was a chance for me just to spend time with God during the day for several hours a day just to go out and be alone. And it was a great experience. So Jesus and his disciples are longing for this experience, a recharge, if you will. And so that was one of the reasons they were going to the other side. Verse 36. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. The other little boats were also with him. Uh, the New King James Version says he actually sent away the multitude. Now, this is not uncommon in the life of Jesus. People aren't looking at their watches when Jesus is preaching. Um, <laughs> no, no, no comments, right? But it's the reality. When Jesus is preaching, no one's looking at their watch. They, oftentimes, Jesus has to tell them, it's time for you to eat. It's time for you to go home and get some rest. Um, and so that is what's taking place. He's asking them to go home so they could take care of themselves. It says, when they started the crossing, everything was calm. It seemed to be a nice beginning. In fact, verse, um, the verse says, it took him in the boat as he was. Jesus has been sitting in that boat all day long teaching. Um, just he could, have better, he could back up a little bit from the people. His voice could be heard better. However, there were some people who just couldn't let him alone. You know what? I might have been one of them. Can you imagine listening to Jesus all day long? And he says, go home and eat. And you're like, man, the food I got at home is not as good as this food. Maybe you felt that way sometimes. And maybe they're feeling that way. And so they get in their little boats because they want to follow Jesus wherever he's at. Um, we know from the story that Jesus didn't stay up and keep teaching. He actually went to sleep. So as they start this trip across, Jesus goes to sleep. And um, verse 37 and a great windstorm arose. And the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. Um, you know, 
this is probably the biggest blizzard I've been in for a while. I remember something like this when I was a kid in the 80s, but I this is pretty intense. We have sustained winds of like 30 mile an hour outside right now. Um, and there's gusts that are even higher. Uh, some of you have lost your electricity, so you're, you can kind of appreciate what, what we're experiencing here. The word great is being used by disciples who spent their life on the lake. They knew what it was like, and this was big for them. Uh, this is bigger than the average storm in the lives of the disciples. It's not just normal. It's bigger than normal. You have to remember, uh, in the Bible, wind is often connected with strife, destruction, and difficulties. Uh, I'll just go through a couple examples, okay? In Genesis chapter 41, we see an east wind that comes into Egypt, and it brings a famine. In Exodus chapter 10, we actually see a, a wind that brings the plague of locusts and then later removes them. In Job chapter 1, there's a wind that comes and knocks down the house where Job's children are meeting and kills them. Uh, Proverbs chapter 11 verse 29 says, he that troubles his house will inherit the wind. Uh, Proverbs, uh, Jeremiah 51, we've just been looking at Jeremiah in, in, in our prayer meeting. Babylon is described as a destroying wind. Uh, you remember what Paul says in Ephesians 4, don't be confused by every wind of doctrine. Wind is not typically biblically connected with good things. There are times, but not often. Oftentimes it is more of a, a destructive element or a difficulty or something that is not good. Uh, Revelation chapter 7, right? Where, where people, we enjoy prophecy. Revelation 7 talks about uh, the winds being held back by the angels. And those winds are times of trouble. Um, Windstorms, bad things, strife, disasters happen in the lives of everybody. No question. Even those who follow Jesus like the disciples were. I think we can't miss that, right? Um, I would assume that some of us or I would say maybe all of us have winds blowing in our personal life right now. Um, they may be winds of strife or difficulty, poor health, hurtful relationships, inadequate finances, doubt, addiction, anxiety. For some of us, the winds that we're facing in our personal life are much bigger than the storm we're seeing in our world. The Bible says that the boat was already filling. And that, that really hits me there in the bottom of end of verse 37. It's not enough for the winds to blow, but sometimes the results of that wind seem like they're going to put us under. And that's what the disciples are feeling. We're looking at utter hopelessness. Um, there's nothing that can be done. The trouble is about to sink us. And that's what the disciples are facing. Um, they were trying as hard as they could, but you and I both know Trying as hard as we can isn't enough. They were master fishermen, spent their life on the lake, and they were not good enough to face the storm that they were facing. I don't care how good you and I are, how skilled and talented we are. Storms will come that will be beyond what we can handle. The Bible says in verse 38, uh, 
but he was in the stern, speaking of Jesus, asleep on a pillow. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder, is Jesus sleeping in my storm? Is Jesus sleeping in my storm? But we're, we, we'll answer that question when we come to that uh, next point. Jesus was, he was in the stern, sleeping on a pillow, and they awoke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? I love the way it says it in the King James Version. Master, carest thou not that we perish? Um, don't you see what we're in? But we must remember, not only is he in the stern of the boat, he is in the storm with them. He may be sleeping, but he's in the storm too. See, Jesus is with us in the storm. He doesn't often save us from the storm. And this is seen in the lives of so many of the followers of God. Noah and his family, they went through the flood. Abram and his family went through famine and had to leave. Moses and the children of Israel went through a desolate wilderness. Job lost his children in a terrible storm. Ruth lost her husband and was a stranger in a foreign land. Jeremiah was thrown into a dungeon. David spent years fleeing the, the hatred of Saul. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown in a fiery furnace. Paul was shipwrecked, beaten, stoned. John was abandoned on a prison island. Doesn't change the fact that in each place, Jesus was in the storm with his followers. He may not take us from storms, but he's with us in them. However, it's easy to forget and fight on our own when he's actually in the same boat. And that's something I want to encourage us this morning. I don't know what storms we face outside of the blizzard that's raging around us, but he is in the boat with us. He may not kept us from the blizzard. He may not have kept us from the storm, but he has not left us alone. He's in the boat with us. We worry, but he is near. We worry because we can't see our way out of the current crisis. We worry because we're trusting in our strength and wisdom and skill to put us through. That's why the worry of the disciples was. And that is why we worry sometimes too. The very fact that Jesus is sleeping tells me he was two things. Well, probably a whole lot more, but two, he was tired and he had absolute faith in his father. Jesus was fearless. When I face problems, I, I'll be quite frank. There are times when my heart quakes a little bit. There are some times when I go to sleep not as well because I'm thinking of what's going to future for my children. Sometimes I go to bed not thinking as clearly or not feeling as well because I know who I am. Who knows the reasons that you and I may be sometimes difficulty sleeping, but Jesus doesn't have that difficulty sleeping. I love that because he has absolute faith in his father. He was fearless because of his faith. And that is where fearlessness comes from today. It comes from faith. Yes? Circumstances bring no fear if you and I are resting in Jesus. Um, what does it say here? Teacher, do you not care? Wow. Teacher, do you not care? I like to read a passage from the book Desire of Ages, starting with page 334. Absorbed in their efforts to save themselves, they had forgotten 
that Jesus was on board. Now seeing their, their labor in vain and only death before him, them, they remembered at whose command they had set out across the sea. And Jesus was their only hope. And in their helplessness and despair, they cried, Master, Master. But the dense darkness hid him from their sight. Their voices were drowned by the roaring of the tempest, and there was no reply. Doubt and fear assailed them. Had Jesus forsaken them? Was he who conquered disease and demons and even death powerless to help his disciples now? Was he unmindful of them in their distress? Again, they call, but there's no answer except the shrieking of the angry blast. Already their boat is sinking. A moment and apparently they will be swallowed up by the angry waters. Suddenly, a flash of lightning pierces the darkness and they see Jesus lying asleep undisturbed by the tumult. In amazement and despair, they exclaim, Master, carest thou not that we perish? How can he rest so peacefully while they are in danger and battling with death? Their cry arouses Jesus. As the lightning glare reveals him, they see the peace of heaven in his face. And they read in his glance, self-forgetful, tender love. And their hearts turning to him cry, Lord, save us, we perish. Never did a soul utter that cry unheeded. What a picture. He didn't wake up scattered and scared. I had a friend of mine. I used to work on a wood crew at the first teaching job I ever had. And so they were clearing out with a bulldozer all these massive trees to build a new auto shop. And they must have knocked down hundreds of trees. My job was to come behind with my chainsaw and a crew of boys. And I cut all the trees down, or cut them up after they were down, cut the branches off. The young men would take the branches, put them in a big pile. And then we have these monster bonfires. Uh, I mean, massive. And I remember we had one bonfire, uh, we had stacked up the branches, probably 10, 15 feet high, maybe higher than that. And we were trying to get it started. Well, we had a safety officer on campus and I was about to put gas on it to help get it started. And he said, no, you can't put gas on it. You can only use diesel. And um, I didn't like that, but I listened to him because he was the safety officer. And uh, we put diesel all over the fire uh, it wasn't a fire yet all over the brush. And then we tried to light it, but it just, the diesel wasn't, it's not really that combustible and it wasn't starting. We tried and tried and tried. A little bit of gas. That's all you needed. I I'm with you. Well, a friend of mine came and he was not going to listen to the safety officer because he felt it was foolish. He could, I could make this a whole lot easier. And so he said, we're going to use gas. And he grabbed the gas can climbed up on top of the pile and just started pouring gas across the entire pile. There was a spark in the bottom of that pile. And all of a sudden there was this huge concussion and boom. I had turned around to walk back because it was, I was done with my, uh, my part of the work. And as I turned around, I saw flames leaping 30 feet up into the air. And I saw my friend roll out of the center of those flames stand up and he looks i've never seen a guy look so shell-shocked i mean he had been in the midst of that explosion he came out without a scratch i don't know how that happened god but 
when he came out, I remember seeing the fear, the shock. But you know, when Jesus was in the middle of the storm, when he woke up, there was no fear. There's no shock. There's love and absolute peace. That's how he is for your storms. So when you and I face storms, we can go to him and he's not going to be shocked by our storm. He's not going to be angry by our storm. He's going to see us and with a look of peace and love be there for us in our storm. He may ask you the same question he asked his disciples. <laughs> Where is your faith? Yes? You know, there's a Sometimes we are like the disciples, um, absorbed in our thoughts and efforts to save ourselves. We forget about Jesus. But I want you to notice, it's when we reach the end of our rope that we realize he's our only hope. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just reading something in my notes here. Sometimes it seems like um, Jesus is sleeping and not hearing us. But we must remember that no matter what happens in the crises that we face, we have nothing to fear when he is on board with us. You know, there was a, this sermon, when I first put it together, it was 21 months ago, 22 months ago. COVID had just hit. We were reeling and trying to figure out what to do with COVID. Remember, none of us knew. Uh, they told us to do this, and then we were told to do this, and then we were told to do this, and no one really knew what was happening. Uh, we were listening, and things were changing from day to day. Well, um, I'm looking at it now, 22 months later, as saying, who knew? God did. And one thing that you and I can do is we can rest in him. That phrase, Lord, save us, it's a very short prayer, but it's one that's always answered. You know, um, I prayed it once before, and it was in a snowstorm. Do you mind if I share a personal testimony? I was driving unwisely. I know it's hard to imagine someone in their early 20s with a nice, uh, just with friends in the car driving unwisely, but that was me. Um, we were trying to go from a school that I was teaching at in Virginia to my parents' home in Pennsylvania. I was going to drop off. Um, some students of mine with their parents to continue on their way to New Jersey. So we were traveling up, um, I think it was Route 15, coming from Virginia into Maryland and then into you know, Pennsylvania. And as we came up through, the snow started getting pretty heavy. We stopped for breakfast, got some bread and some hummus and some fruit. And as I got back on the road, everyone's eating their breakfast and, and enjoying it. And I'm, I'm driving behind the tractor trailer in front of me. And my wheels are in his wheel tracks. Yes, things are going pretty okay. The, 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 the slow lane is cleared, but the fast lane has got slush in it. And I'm behind this tractor trailer and he is spitting up so much gunk on my car. I thought, you know what? Let me just get out around him, past him, and then everything will be okay. So I pulled out from behind him into the slush. I could feel a little bit of fishtail in my car, but everything stayed steady. And then I hit the gas. And as we were going past him, my tail end fishtail a little bit again because of the wind, you know, the, the, and I did the 
wrong thing to do. What was it? That's right. I hit the brakes and instantly lost complete control of the car. I'm going 65 mile an hour down the road in the passing lane through slush in a snowstorm. I have one student sitting next to me, three sitting behind me. My car spins and I can see the front end of my car going between the truck and the rear tires of the trailer. I let go of the wheel and I said, Lord, save us. I remember the car spun around backwards and we were going down the highway backwards and then hit a bank and came to a stop. Came to a complete stop. And the first thing that came out of the mouth of the students were, there's hummus everywhere. Praise God, it was only hummus. Um, we got out, uh, a man came and pulled me out. A, a police officer came. I told him what happened and uh, I got a tongue lashing from a police officer, I'll tell you that. I've never been uh, so nervous, he, he tore into me. And rightly so, I had endangered the lives of a lot of people. Um, and then um, I started, I learned something there. I can cry out to him and he does hear. Lord, save me. Um, the Bible says that he arose. Do you see that in verse 39? It says, then he arose and rebuked the sea and said to the sea, wind, excuse me, and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He arose. Um, he was standing in a lurching boat in the middle of a storm. Waves are rolling over them. Thunder is, flat, is rolling, flashes of lightning. And he stands up with peace on his face. Jesus was fearless. And then he says, peace be still. Notice what Jesus didn't do. He didn't help them row. He didn't help them bail out the boat. Instead, he simply did the impossible. He gave a command to an inanimate creation. And one children's author said this, creation recognized the voice of the creator. What a beautiful thought. Great calm. You know, recently I've been looking at uh, this blizzard. And did you know they have storm chasers that are following the blizzard? And what they're doing is going smack into the center of the blizzard to get all the details they can possibly give so that meteorologists can make better decisions about what's happening next. And um, yeah, these storm chasers are pretty crazy. And uh, it's interesting. Storm chasers have lots of guts. Can you say that? They can chase down storms, get in the middle of storms. But one thing that a storm chaser can't do and no human can do, and that is they can't do what took place next, produce a great calm. Great calm doesn't come from human source. It has to come from God. In times of crisis, what we need is a great calm. Whatever crisis you and I face personally, whatever we face in a spiritual way, whatever we face in an emotional way, because honestly, the emotional crises this day are rising faster than ever before. Those crises are not met by human resources. It's something that God gives, something that he can provide. You know, I'm, I'm a firm believer, if those of you who have talked to me before, I'm a firm believer in human counsels. I like counseling. I think counseling is a great thing. I think that counseling is a healthy thing. 
But I also believe that counseling from Christian friends, Christian elders and mentors is very key because they can point us to God when sometimes we don't get it from other sources. Uh, you know, the Bible says, uh, Paul makes it clear, he says that the older men and women in the church, their job is to counsel the younger men and women. Uh, you all, and I, I'm almost ready to, I guess I can't include myself yet, even though I tell you what, I'm going to path to join some of you with gray hair and lack of hair. But you all provide strength for us. You provide knowledge that we wouldn't have in any other way. We need your counsel. But that being said, the only person who can truly deal with storms is God. And that's why we need Christian counselors, Christian fathers and mothers in Israel. The nerves of humanity are frayed right now. F-R-A-Y-E-D. There's a stress of things that are taking place that have never took place before this time. And we need the great calm that took place in Galilee 2,000 years ago. We need that great calm today. What did Jesus say in verse 40? Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? You know, I find it interesting here that Jesus is making a connection between fear and a lack of faith. The reason Jesus was fearless had nothing to do with the fact that he had all power in heaven on earth. He laid that down when he came to save humanity. Remember what he said? I can of my own self do nothing. The reason Jesus is fearless is because he had faith in the father's love and care. He knew that whatever happened to him as he rested in his father's care was the will of God. And that no fear, and he had no fear of being in that will. There's a, one more story and then I'll close up. There was a famous lawyer in the state of Illinois, Illinois, who took on a battle in court with the most powerful church in the world. And as he took that church in battle for his client, he won. And his client looked at him and said, I'm so sorry that you won because there are people in this room he will not rest until you are dead. This lawyer, whose name was Abraham Lincoln, looked at his client and said, I am not afraid of what they can do because God will not let me go until my work is done. There is a need for faith, trusting him that we are in his will just like Abraham Lincoln did. By the way, that story, I'll tell you at another time when I'm not on a live YouTube. I'll give you some more details. With Jesus, there is not freedom from storms, but there's freedom from fear. I'm going to repeat that. With Jesus, there's not freedom from storms. There's freedom from fear. Uh, David said, where the Lord is on my side, I will not fear. That's Psalm 118, verse 6. John tells us perfect love cast out fear. We're going to be looking at that in a sermon coming up in a few weeks. That's the kind of faith that I want to have. Living faith in the Redeemer will smooth the sea of life and will deliver us from danger in the way he knows to be best. Desire of Ages, page 336. I like to remember Peter. 
There was another storm and Peter decided he was gonna get out of the boat and start walking. Peter was out walking and what happened? He started sinking. Why did he sink? Because he started focusing on the waves instead of focusing on Jesus. There's a lot of waves around us today. There's a lot of crises around us today. The wind may be howling, the waves may be roaring, but the good thing today is this. If we keep our eyes on Jesus, we can keep walking. May God give us that. May we be willing to cry out to him, Lord, save us. If you and I do that, there is nothing that can take us down that's not in God's care and in timing. He is completely in charge and he has our lives in his hands. It's time for us to trust the true storm calmer and that is Jesus. So today, if you're facing a storm in your life, be it emotional, financial, physical, spiritual, realize that Jesus is the storm calmer. Trust him. I have storms in my life, and I my, my only way is to trust him. May God give us that strength, yes? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we know that you care about us. And even though we're in a storm, you're in the storm with us. And we can trust you that our lives are in your hands. We thank you for all you've done. And we pray for your spirit's presence in our individual lives. Father, there are storms that are being represented by the people on this Zoom and those who are watching on YouTube. I ask, Father, please come and calm our storm and give us the courage to have faith in you. We pray and ask for this in Jesus' name.